This message comes from the Orthopedic Trauma Association. Just because you're not getting on an airplane doesn't mean you can't attend the OTA annual meeting. This year's online meeting includes symposia, paper and poster presentations, industry sessions, social events, and of course, CME. If watching the meeting live doesn't work with your schedule, all educational sessions will be recorded and made available to all attendees. The meeting starts October 21st. Register today for the 2020 OTA Annual Meeting at OTA.org. They would have fallen down a couple of days prior, so some of the patients were afraid to come to the hospital and were just staying at home. And it's actually, hip fracture care takes like a pretty multidisciplinary approach, and especially in this setting, it actually required even more of that. So we'd always have to get an anesthesiologist involved and a hospitalist involved and kind of discuss what's the best course of action for some of the patients, because you know, at times there's a very narrow window when surgery can safely be done. And if that window is missed or if the patient decompensates quickly, you know, they may not even have their hip fracture fixed at all. Welcome to the OTA Podcast, your home for conversations with leading experts in orthopedic trauma. Please note that the views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Orthopedic Trauma Association or its members. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Kanda, chair of the OTA Podcast Committee. I'm here today for a recap podcast to discuss the COVID-19 experience in New York City with Dr. Abhishek Ganta, assistant professor at NYU Langone Health and Assistant Director of Orthopedic Trauma at Jamaica Hospital Medical Center. Dr. Ganta, welcome to the OTA Podcast channel once again. Thank you for having me again, Dr. Kondo. So just so everyone knows, Avi is my partner out here in Queens, New York. We both work together at Jamaica Hospital Medical Center and work also uh, at NYU Langone Health. You know, so we have been together here through the whole kind of New York COVID-19 uh, experience, and Avi has some really good insight into kind of what's transpired uh, since our last discussion, Avi has been leading sort of the COVID-19 orthopedic team. So Dr. Ganta, can you just recap for us what that experience was like leading an orthopedic surgery team that was really kind of acting as a medical service? Yeah, sure. So, you know, the first COVID patient that kind of came in early March in New York City, and that was the first patient that was pretty much diagnosed. And Things actually transpired pretty quickly. Mid-March, like around March 12th is when they had the stay-at-home order. But around that time, more and more healthcare workers, especially in our hospital area, started getting infected with COVID. So, you know, around that time, there's about like 25% of the medical residents, which is actually a relatively large program here, were sick and were basically taken on leave due to like having positive COVID symptoms. And so it was that point that we kind of stepped in to help out the medical team since they were so low on kind of basically workers in the area. And so we had the orthopedic residents kind of help and serve to assist with the medical team and taking care of some of the more lower acuity COVID patients. And that consisted of rounding on them and doing some of their medical management with obviously the help of a hospitalist who was overseeing everything. Got it. Now, one thing that I found the orthopedic residents that we required them to do, so they were titrating the oxygen levels in the hospital. Is that correct? Yeah, that's what we were doing. So essentially what we would have is a pretty efficient system to one, minimize the amount of time that we're in each of the patient's room and to also kind of round on them as, you know, as quickly and safely as possible and to make sure that they're being taken care of appropriately. So we would have a junior resident 
with like a portable finger monitor, go to each patient's room, check their O2 sets, and then kind of titrate the oxygen levels. And following that person would be me or Dr. Kanda and the chief resident checking on the patient and seeing what the oxygen levels were based on the adjustment of the oxygen levels on, on each one of the patients and then titrating them afterwards to make sure the O2 sats were within the acceptable range. So it was a pretty efficient system that way. Now, one thing I did read during this kind of COVID surge, I don't know if you saw this, is a New York Post article. It's a New York Post is a newspaper here in New York City. And the article talked about how, and it happened about in close proximity to the time that orthopedic surgeons started controlling the oxygen levels for patients, was that Jamaica Hospital, and there were other hospitals in the city too, so it wasn't just Jamaica Hospital, but started to run out of oxygen. <laughs> and literally had to ask the army to deliver oxygen units to the hospital. So do you think that we as orthopedic surgeons had anything to do with the depletion, rapid depletion of oxygen in the hospital? No, I can say that uh, with our assistance, they're able to discharge patients much quicker than they would normally. Yeah, no, I think it just had to do with every patient in the hospital really had COVID and was probably requiring oxygen. So Dr. Ganta, talk to me a little bit about during the COVID times, operating room experience really changed. You know, the types of cases that we were doing as orthopedic surgeons changed. The number of cases that we were doing changed. Talk to me a little bit about during COVID times, what that was like. Yeah, so we had a significant decrease in the amount of trauma volume as expected, given that most patients were staying at home. But that being said, we did see a pretty consistent amount of hip fractures compared to even the years prior during the same time period. So, you know, there was a lot of patients with hip fractures that were consistently coming in um, during this time period. Yeah, that's really interesting to note. And, you know, I'll actually have you, Dr. Ganta, talk a little bit about a paper that you were an author on. It's a COVID-19 paper out of NYU Langone Health. The five hospitals within the system kind of combined all of their hip fracture patients during the COVID period to report on some of their results. If you could touch on that a little bit, the findings of that study, and then if you can just kind of reiterate how that kind of plays back again to like kind of the continued occurrence of hip fractures despite people having to stay inside and socially distance, what was going on? Yeah. So, I mean, the paper pretty much looked at throughout all the New York City hospitals that all of our partners work at. So Bellevue, Lutheran, NYU, and Jamaica. And we did find a substantial increase in the number of complications, especially in the patients that were came in with COVID-19. I can tell you from experience that a couple of patients would actually be diagnosed while they're in the hospital, but they would have fallen down a couple of days prior. So some of the patients were afraid to come to the hospital and were just staying at home. And it's actually hip fracture care takes like a pretty multidisciplinary approach. And especially in this setting, it actually required even more of that. So we'd always have to get an anesthesiologist involved and a hospitalist involved and kind of discuss what's the best course of action for some of the patients. Because, you know, at times there's a very narrow window when surgery can safely be done. And if that window is missed or if the patient decompensates quickly, you know, they may not even have their hip fracture fixed at all. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I think one of the things I also want to point out, and I think this is good for all the sort of uh, listeners to know, is, you know, we always quote certain numbers to patients, you know, with regards to hip fracture. It's usually like the inpatient mortality rate is around uh, 2%. The 30-day mortality rate is around 10%. And the one-year mortality rate is around 30%. And those numbers really haven't changed a lot for the past 30, 40 years. And I think one of the things that you and some of our other colleagues in this paper that was published in JOT found was that patients who, you know, hip fracture patients who were COVID positive, 
had an inpatient mortality rate close to almost 25, 30%. Yes, that's correct. Uh, it's pretty high. You know, some of the patients that could actually be treated non-operatively, so patients with like a non-displaced fracture, and if they're COVID positive, you could kind of monitor the patient, get them up and about and see if they can ambulate, you know, protecting their weight bearing. But, you know, unfortunately, there were a couple of patients that came in with displaced fractures where, you know, it's kind of a tough position where you'd want to fix them as soon as possible to at least get them mobilized and try to get them out of bed. But ultimately, you know, they were just not medically able to go to surgery. And so, you know, those are patients that we've noticed had tended to have even more complications. Right. Yeah. I think the other thing that we also saw was that patients, these same patients who sometimes were not COVID positive at the time of surgery would then convert to COVID positive at some point down the line after surgery, whether that was during their inpatient hospitalization or Usually what was the case here in New York City, they would get discharged to a subacute nursing facility, and then we would realize that they were COVID positive. And as we all know, not only in New York City, but we see, we're seeing it in Florida, we're seeing it in some of the other southern states now, that these elderly patients who get discharged to these subacute nursing facilities, is, you know, they really are kind of a breeding ground for COVID. I think they're much more better equipped to handle it now. But I think these patients really had a difficult time making it out of the rehab facility, even out of the hospital alive. Now, can you contrast then, you know, you told me that there was a minimal amount of trauma that was coming in, although the trauma that we did see was actually orthopedic trauma. Patients were still falling down and breaking their bones. We weren't really seeing much penetrating trauma during that time. I know the general surgery trauma people were not. But how does that compare to kind of afterwards? Has the trauma volume picked up now? I mean, in New York City, we are now... You know, since April, we're almost like uh, three and a half months out from the like the peak of our COVID pandemic. We are really now almost like at a at an eight or at this point, it's almost like there's no COVID burden in the hospital. Talk to me what the operative experience like is now. Sometime around like mid-May or towards the end of May, we've started seeing like a substantial decrease in the number of medical COVID patients that were being admitted to the hospital and being managed. And since then, since the weather has warmed up and people are a little bit more out and about outdoor seating has opened up. We've seen a substantial increase in the number of trauma cases, whether it's penetrating trauma or blunt trauma since then. The interesting thing is that even with the increased spike, there's still like a handful of patients that are coming in that are asymptomatic, but they're COVID positive. And, you know, they had no idea that they would have COVID, that they had COVID other than the fact that they got tested upon admission to the hospital. Yeah. So that's, that's really interesting. And, you know, I would echo those sentiments. To me, it's almost as if there is a rebound phenomenon happening. I mean, the summer that we've had in the last two months is, you know, exponentially greater from a trauma standpoint, I feel, than it was last summer. And last summer was a busy summer. It was a regular, normal, busy summer. But this summer has been off the wall. You know, why do you think we're seeing almost this rebound phenomenon of, you know, almost like one and a half times as much trauma that we're seeing now? I think a lot of it's just that people are just so pent up from being stuck at home and not being able to do much now that they have the opportunity to kind of move about a little bit more. I think that's one of the contributing factors to the reason why that we're seeing so much more trauma that's come in recently, you know, relative to the, even the busier summer that we've had in the last few years. Yeah, it's really interesting. I wonder if part of it has to do too, you know, now, you know, as we're slowly gradually phasing in people's jobs, you know, people weren't working, right? And so we had a lot of people who weren't working who are inside the house all the time. Now they still don't have a job. Maybe they're getting out and just getting into some sort of crazy antics. I don't know, hard to tell, but it's been very, very busy. Now, the other thing I'd like to point out is, and you had touched on this, was that, that we are still getting like a handful of patients. It seems almost, you know, a couple of patients a week 
who will come in with trauma. It'll be like a drunk driver coming in with a, with a femur fracture, young adult usually. And upon admission to the hospital, which is the hospital policy, as it is for all the New York hospitals and probably many of the hospitals around the country, that all patients are getting admitted or getting COVID tested now. And these patients are testing COVID positive and they're completely asymptomatic. You know, why do you think that's going on? I mean, we're seeing, I, th- I still, I think it's more than a handful. I think it's a lot. You know, I, I wonder if like just part of it, is, especially in the Queens community, there's like a lot of herd immunity going on because especially in this area, there's such a high number of COVID positive people. And I think once you hit a certain threshold, it's about like 70% of the population. If they, you know, were COVID positive at some point, it's possible these patients ended up kind of developing like herd immunity in the area. So, you know, maybe they're just getting COVID and they're just asymptomatic and, you know, they're not really showing any other signs of COVID. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, there, there definitely have been reports that within the Queens community in particular, pockets of the Queens community have developed herd immunity over 70 to 80% of the people within certain pockets have all tested COVID positive at some point or antibody positive. And I think really, it's just, it really is endemic to the area now. And I think that's probably what we'll see in some of these other states who are, you know, having these like, having like the increase in COVID burden now is that two, three months down the line is the COVID is just kind of spreading out throughout the community, affecting a lot more of the younger adults who are going to be asymptomatic. They're going to see it and they just need to be prepared. Because as people who are COVID positive are still potentially spreaders. So we talked a little bit about your orthopedic trauma paper. That was, I thought, like sort of, I think, a groundbreaking paper, because I don't think there was any other paper out there at this point that had as many COVID positive fracture patients comparing it to like a, a prior cohort. You know, what, what do you think the future is holding for us now? Is it just business back to usual now for us? Or are we going to continue to have to take special precautions when we're operating, when we're seeing patients? Tell me what you think is going to happen. I think it's still important to take precautions because we still don't, you know, as much as we're learning every single day about this virus, I think there's still a lot that's still left to be learned and there's still a lot of unknown about it. So I think it's really important to take all the proper precautions, including, you know, as we're ramping up elective cases to still make sure that we're testing all the patients ahead of time, trying to keep patients separated, still wearing the PPE as much as possible while you're in the office and while you're in the operating room. And you know, they're, even though a lot of these patients are asymptomatic, it's unclear, you know, if these patients still have the increased VT risk that we've noted in some of the prior COVID pop, uh, population. So I think for all those reasons that even though things are starting to kind of more normalize and elective cases are starting to pick up and everything, I still think it's very important to try to maintain the same precautions that we've been doing to even minimize the spread if, you know, if that's you know possible. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's just like a, this is a, a novel and new risk factor that I think is going to be, you know, with us for a long time. It may not be as virulent, especially when the vaccine is developed, but it's going to be something that people can get just like the flu at some point. And just like you would take special precautions in the office if someone had the flu. And now we're all required pretty much to work in a hospital to get the flu vaccine. You know, we may be required to get this COVID-19 vaccine. Let me ask you this a little controversial question. So this new COVID-19 vaccine, if and when it comes out, which it will come out, right? Are you going to take it right away? Are you going to wait to see what happens to other people? Yeah, I'll probably say I'm taking it right away. You know, I had COVID-19 before and it wasn't so much fun. So vaccine comes out and they're recommending it. I think I might as well just take it. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm probably going to take it too. But I, I wonder if it's going to become a requirement in order to work in the, in the sort of healthcare setting. I wonder. 
All right. Well, Dr. Ganta, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate the input that you have given us during your initial interview uh, during the COVID uh, pandemic. I think it was a really well-received podcast. I think a lot of people were really interested to know what was going on and probably helped a lot of people in other areas of the country. And this is this podcast is actually being picked up in other areas of the world as well. So, you know, hopefully it's had some outreach there. And we really do appreciate everything that you uh, have been able to tell us today, how things have sort of smoothed out in uh, your neck of the woods, our neck of the woods, and hopefully we can see the same for the rest of the country. We know some of our southern neighbors and Midwest neighbors right now are going through a slow but gradual increase in COVID patients. We only hope the best for them. Yeah, I hope, uh, you know, even in these spikes that are happening in the Midwest and the South, uh, it's self-limiting and it doesn't affect, you know, too many people. Hope everyone's safe and uh, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the OTA podcast, a Convey MD production. Make sure you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to the OTA channel wherever you get your podcast. And to learn more about becoming a member and providing the highest quality orthopedic trauma care, visit the Orthopedic Trauma Association at OTA.org.